You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken here, joined down the line by David Hartrick because it took me nearly two hours to get to Manchester yesterday, which was an outrage, so I've decided not to brave the roads today. Uh, how are you doing, Dave? Not too bad at all. Currently snowing in Lindley. So, Dave, we've got two very contrasting performances to talk about, haven't we? Mm. Swansea City haven't and Bristol done? City. And we should probably start with Swansea, I suppose. Uh, how much have you seen of the game and what did you make of it? Uh, I saw all of it. And I, like, I, I mean, I texted you about it and I said I think the reaction was a bit over the top from a lot of Town fans. I think Town were just absolutely average and I think Swansea were absolutely average. It just so happens with their side at the moment, their average is just slightly higher than Town's. I didn't think it was a I mean, I personally didn't think it was a desperately bad performance first half or anything like that. It was just, it was like it was a team who'd done their homework and decided that the way they were going to beat Huddersfield Town is to let them play with the ball, wasn't it? So Swansea played as the away team essentially, let Town have lots of the ball, hit them on the break and pick them off as and when, and their game plan worked really. But what did you think being there? I mean, the first half particularly sort of the first 20 minutes or so, felt an awful lot like a pre-season friendly uh, when you're in the ground. It was not just that flat feeling from the crowd, but also just the way both teams were playing. They were just both going through the motions. And I, I agree it was an overreaction. I think, obviously, the, the other results didn't help. But I completely understand where the reaction comes from because, as you say, Swansea were not great. They were pretty well, nah. in my in my analysis, they were there for the taking, and it just felt like if they had been able to get Emil Smithrow on the pitch from the start, if they'd ever been able to get Chris Willock on a bit earlier, that you know they could have got something out of that game. Probably the three points, if that's what it felt like, and obviously the the nature of the defeat as well. You know they worked so hard; they were much better after the break with those changes with Steve Mounier coming on, and and then Smithrow not not too long afterwards. They looked good and, and deserved the point, and then just immediately threw it away within, I think it was 130 seconds between the goals, and, and particularly get thrown it away to such a cheap goal as well. It was proper non-league defending, wasn't it? Yeah, it, that goal was so frustrating on so many levels. I mean, you can only you can only think what Danny Cowley must have gone through. But like they said in the press conference after the Bristol game, when we were you know, we were all in there chatting and what have you. And Danny said that Emil Smith Rowe isn't ready for a three-game week. And Chris Willock isn't ready for ninety minutes. And you're absolutely right. They would have, if they'd have been on from the start, it would have been a completely different game. But obviously, they looked at the three-game week and went, "Well, it's it's Charlton is the game <laughs> that they have to, or I suggest they probably are both going to start." So they had to do it that way round, and it. it uh, 
that's I mean you've summed it up really. I just thought it was Swansea's average is just slightly better than Towns at the moment and that's what won the day. But that that corner was just so like basic, you know, people not yeah. going with runners, defenders not jumping with their men. Um yeah, it was just it was coming out and getting nowhere near it. Yeah, and it, it, Lersel's decision-making there I didn't think was great because it, it was always going into that area where I think a goalkeeper is far better staying on his line and hoping his defenders deal with it because you, you're trying to come out through a crowd of bodies into an area where if you don't get a good touch on it, it's going to end up at, you know, at somebody's feet. And then it's 50-50, whether it's a Swansea player or a town player. So I don't think his decision-making was great there. But, yeah, it was just such a disappointment. The, the third goal you write off because town are pushing and they're trying to get something from the game. And that's what sometimes happens when you've had a lot of possession in a game and find yourself 2-1 down at the end. You just get picked off with one at the death. So you don't worry yeah. too much about that. But Particularly uh, to, to lose... Yeah. But to lose to lose another goal on a set piece, Steve, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, three games in a row that was that they've they've let a corner go in past them, and and all of them have been completely preventable. Uh, you know, you say you can only imagine what Danny Cowley made of it, but he came out afterwards and said, you know, we've always considered set pieces at both ends to be a strength of ours, and we're we're kind of at a loss as to what's going on um, obviously there's, he pointed out there's more variation in the routines in the championship but yeah it's uh, it's not great and they had that sort of run over Christmas where they started scoring lots of set pieces but that's dropped off as well so they're letting them in at one end and not scoring them at the other at the moment which isn't great when you've got a relegation fight on your hands but they managed to keep it out against Bristol I suppose yeah but it, it, set pieces are such a like we went through, we went through a spell a few years ago where it was almost seen as a, a dirty way of playing football, scoring from set pieces. You know, an mm. unbeautiful way to do it. But like in the champ- yeah, but when you're in the championship and it is that grind that we've spoke about before, it's a bit of a bear pit of a league, and it's game after game after game after game. Set pieces are a massive part of any team that is successful in that division. You know, it really is, and they've got a. That's one thing that I don't see it improve until the summer because it's like it's drilling your defenders, isn't it? It's it's making sure everybody knows the roles and know the patterns, both in a defending and attacking sense. And the problem with in the championship is sometimes you've got so many games you might only get, you know, one in a three-game week you might only actually get one proper training session because the rest yeah. of the time you have to do a video session, you have to do a recovery session where players will come in and have, you know, sports massages, etc. So it's just so difficult to actually, you know, to drill anything into these players long term. And that's why we've, we've said it before, haven't we, Steve? But it's just another example of the reason why this whole football club just needs a summer. It needs yeah, a summer under these managers to get the recruitment sorted and get these things, you know, get these these very... And they are the basics, aren't they, Steve? Let's be honest. They are the sort of building blocks of of any, you know, even half-successful team. So, but yeah, yeah I, I'm, I, interested, I, I was mean, interested to, to just pick up on what you were saying a little bit about the crowd. Why do you think the crowd was a bit flat? I mean, Swansea had been 
desperately out of form, to be fair. They they had hoped that they were going to have a playoff challenge. They started the season really well, but I think going into the game, they'd, they'd not won any of their last seven or something like that. So I, th- I think that didn't help. And also, you know, Swansea weren't playing well. Uh, neither team was playing well. So, yeah, I think it was just a number of things adding up, really. And the, the town fans obviously didn't have much to cheer about because it was the action on the pitch was not exactly terribly enthralling. So, pass, um, pass, 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 yeah. pass. Lose the... Is that Simpsons gif? Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll go, we'll go into the Bristol game a bit and what have you, but... It's worth pointing out that they had like well over a hundred more passes in this Swansea game and lost. And it is yeah. that same thing we've talked about before in that you beat Huddersfield Town by giving them the ball. The contrast was they actually managed to have the ball and be effective with it against Bristol, but we'll come to that. But And that was largely because that's why it felt like such a missed opportunity not having Smith Rowe on the pitch, because they had all the possession. But yeah. as as they did against Cardiff, they just didn't know what to do with it when they got to the final third, which is an old habit from from earlier in the season for, and from last season, you know. It, but, and it's, uh, go on. I think they were right. I think they're right to target that Charlton game, though, Steve. Yeah, no, I I, I I completely agree. And to be honest, and it might be wider the mark on this, but reading between the lines, I wonder if it's not just a club decision to limit Emil Smith-Rowe's minutes I wonder if that's something they've actually agreed with Arsenal in advance because he did have a lot of injury problems last year It was interesting when Danny was going into the in, in the presser the the problems he had at, at Leipzig where well he basically came out and said that Arsenal felt they didn't manage his injuries properly didn't they? They didn't do the conditioning training and the uh, I forget the interval training that he needed to, to A get him back to where he needed to be, um, so they felt they'd brushed him. So yeah, that very much did feel like there's a conversation taking place. And he is a young lad, and the, uh, you know I've, I've literally said it in this podcast already. This, the championship is a bear pit. Three games in a week will take it out of you. And then what you don't want is a player to play well. You know, get through three games in a week, play well in each, and then the next game pick up that muscle injury that then keeps him out for six weeks. So yeah. I, I completely get it. Willock is a different case because I don't think it's... With Willock, it's not that he can't do a three-game week. It's that he can't do 90 minutes yet because he's just not played enough football. You know, he, he's been to West Brom and all he's played is essentially development squad games. And the, the, the difference between, like, you know, reserve team football and youth team football and uh, full-team football in the Championship is just, like, it, it's absolutely vast. So... He'll get there. He'll get there. Willock will get there. And you, I mean, you could see, you can see the progress with Willock week by week, can't you? You can see him coming on really, really well. But is there? I'm trying to think. There's, there's one more three game week, isn't there, before the end of the season? Yeah, I was just having a look at that. Yeah, they've got uh, the four, between the 14th and 21st of March. They are at home to Wigan, which is a massive, massive, massive game. Um, mm. then uh, away to Nottingham Forest and then away to Birmingham, which could also be huge if Birmingham end up with a points deduction. So that's a Saturday, yeah. Wednesday, Saturday. And then after that, they've got they've also got that Easter weekend where they play the Friday and the Monday. So they're Saturday, Friday, Monday, Saturday over that sort of weird Easter period. Yeah, but Easter, I mean, Easter is weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, 
But it was just, I, I do think there was a bit of an overreaction because I was looking on, on that bastion of common sense that is Twitter on Saturday night. And I, while I understand the reaction, I think there were a lot of people going over the top. I This this criticism that keeps coming up about the Cowleys don't have a recognised yeah. style of play and the team don't have an identity, I, I cannot get on board with that at all. Because, no. you know, as, as an analyst, I sit there specifically looking for patterns of play and things they're doing and you know that 4-2-3-1 now they have the players to play it that isn't going anywhere and they've been playing that for weeks now yeah. and literally as soon as they got the players to play that formation properly they immediately switched to it and it, you know in game they might switch to a 4-3-3 in certain situations and the formation changes when they're out of possession. But the idea that, as I said, they don't have some sort of identity or style of play, I just, I find it a bit of a mystifying criticism, really. I know that, you know, some weeks they're going to play well and some weeks they're going to play badly, but that's sort of the nature of football, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I don't know if it's just confusing people that they do uh, use a sort of different implementation of the four two three one away from home. But yeah, I've seen a few people message me or or you know seen the tweets with people saying that, and I'm I'm completely with you on it. I know it's a uh, boring to have two people on the same on a podcast saying exactly the same thing, but I yeah I can't get my head around it either, to be honest. And I think I there are I mean we should both say there are legitimate criticisms of yeah. things the Cowboys have done and and games they've approached wrongly. We've said said on this podcast once or twice when they've set up wrongly but this idea that they don't have a style or an identity I just, I, I just think it's mad really but there you go yeah it, I think part of it as well is that you know they've had that that poor performance against Cardiff and I think sometimes people mistake a poor implementation for not having a plan but they have a plan yeah I'd agree yeah, um, yeah. they have the plan it's definitely there but sometimes they haven't executed it well but there we go they still have the the problem is i think like i know we may as well do the negatives and talk about the problems before we go to the bristol game i think the problems is that there is still a big talent gap in that squad and what a talent gap is is it's something i've talked about before where the most successful sides in any division the the talent gap between their their most talented player and their least talented player needs to be as small as is humanly possible and what you know this goes right the way to the top because it you look at Barcelona and when Messi had all those world-class players around him they won six trophies in a year and now he's not got that level of world-class player around him they're they're not quite the same side and the problem is town squad is still pretty wildly unbalanced in in certain areas and they can put out a very good first 11 but often, you know, players coming into the system and all that sort of thing, it's suddenly there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a gap there, and that that doesn't help. And these are the things, like you say, that a poor implementation of a good plan can look like no plan at all. I completely agree, and I think that's what's happened once or twice. But you know, if you were to sit us both down now and say what formation of town going to play for the first 10 games of next season we know don't we steve so yeah. that's that's as much of an identity as you can possibly have really 
Yeah, totally. Are you suggesting that Martin Braithwaite is not as good as Neymar? <laughs> <laughs> I, Neymar's a separate conversation. <laughs> I think he's the most over, overrated player I've ever seen in my life, but that's another conversation. <laughs> For another podcast. We probably look, talk about that Bristol game then. Chalk and cheese, mm. as they say. I'm not sure what chalk and cheese means. Chalk and cheese. There are some cheeses, I'm thinking of particularly like crumbly Lancashire, that are quite a little bit chalky. I don't like any cheese unless it's melted on a pizza. Really? I do like chalk. <laughs> so perhaps perhaps that's the perfect example. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they were, they were much better, weren't they? Really good performance. Yeah, like we've just talked about, a, a poor implementation of a plan can look like no plan. This was a really good implementation of the perfect plan against a team who came and after five minutes it was quite clear that they really didn't fancy it. But what was interesting, that's the first time in... I mean, certainly going back to the promotion season and possibly even a little bit before that in truth, that's the first time I've seen Town break down a back three. Because, you know, last couple of years, the minute you see a back three you know for a fact Town haven't got the creativity to find space in between what collapses to a back five. Mm. But they did it time and time and time again. I mean, that Town's XG was 4.22 on the night, wasn't it? Yeah, if I remember right. correctly. And Bristol's was 0.22. Now, XG, we should explain because it's one of them phrases that gets kicked around and people are expected to know what it means. In its simplest form, it just means from the amount of chances and the quality of those chances, how many goals you could reasonably expect from each side. So that XG is higher than I've ever seen Huddersfield Town achieve, even in the promotion season. So, yeah, that's a, that's about as stark a contrast as you can possibly have, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's worth mentioning Bristol City were awful. Um there's not to do down down do town down. That's hard to say um, because town were excellent. Emil Smith Rowe and Chris Willock and Carlin Grant and Lewis O'Brien. Just all off the top of my head, Harry Toffler were all outstanding on the day. Trevor Chalabar when he came on. Yeah, exactly. There was you know heroes all over the pitch. It's it's as Danny Kelly said, probably the most complete performance they've had. Not a full ninety minute performance, but it was they had it. Generally, they were good in defence and they were brilliant in attack. And it's been a bloody long time since we've been able to say that Town looked brilliant in attack, even in some of the games they've yeah. won this season. You know that this was the first time, apart from Hull, that they've properly battered someone, um, which was really good to see. Um, Smithrow got the first nine out of ten that we've given this season. The fans backed that up. Yep. Looking at the player ratings, the average player ratings, because obviously I keep a spreadsheet of them. Um, that is the, rated as both the best performance by a town player in Smithrow all season by by quite some way, and it's also rated as the best performance Town have put in all season. It averaged out at a seven out of ten for all fourteen players. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 absolutely right, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, Bristol were bad, but I think you, I, I think they were bad because they picked the wrong formation from the off. They played a three at the back, which is the first time they've done it all season. But I can completely understand 
Lee Johnson looking at town and doing his research and thinking that's the way to go. Uh, but it became very clear very quickly that their three five two made them incredibly narrow, and they were they were sitting really deep, weren't they, Steve? Yeah. And I'm sure that can't have been the plan. I'm sure that wasn't the plan. But they and and Town just started to pick them off, and that man Smith Rowe. I mean, it's you run out of words to say he's a very good footballer, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he looks every inch at the moment. He's, he's he's a Premier League player already, I think we can say. People have been asking me, because I, I speak to a few Arsenal fans, and they've been asking me, is he ready to play for Arsenal next season? I think maybe that might be a step too far, but certainly he's ready for a Premier League loan. He, he's uh, he's a proper player, and, and presumably you would think a 30-plus cap England player in the future as well, if things fall into place for him yeah yeah I, the you've got to try not to go over the top but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat something I'm sure I've said on this podcast before or possibly it was the other podcast Steve the one we don't talk about um but I I used to be an editor for Inbeba Maradona and we used to we took on doing the Don Ballon young players 100 best young players in the world list and there were four editors, and we used to watch 25 of those players each year, and then we used to do a full report on them. You know, hundreds of thousands of words was over the five or six years we did it. But when you watch young footballers um, over that length of time and you sort of learn certain things, the ones that make it, the ones that actually go on to sort of achieve. So I, uh, some of the players I watched, you know, were like Paul Pogba and... They're all, they're all sorts. They've always got just that 5% extra. You know, they, they, it's just that little bit extra that separates them out from just being a good young player. And with Smith-Rowe, you see the way he takes the ball on a turn. And, you know, he's passed the defender and turned before the defender's realised and he's having to go on the turn himself. You see the way he picks a pass. He loves that little inside ball. And interestingly now, he's got players who are starting to read that ball a lot better. But also just, I thought what what was really interesting was he played really, really well. He gets the penalty. He got an absolute smack in that penalty. He was completely winded, blown off his feet. Lad just came and just stuck his shoulder straight square into his chest. He was down for about 30 seconds, got up, wiped himself down, stood at the edge and just carried on. And I thought, do you know what? That's the young man that just wants to get back on his feet and, and play football. And, you know, all credit to him, really. And, yeah, he, he has got a huge future. But it's worth talking about Willock a little bit as well because I thought he was also really, really good in the game. Everything was going down the left in the first half. And then... He got the ball a couple of times when they went down the right and things started to really happen and Town realised then, didn't they, and seemed to switch that crossfield ball to the right-hand side and got his reward with what I thought was a, was a brilliant goal, really. The slightly heavy second touch means it requires an even better finish to actually put it in from there and he, he pulled it off. Yeah, cut inside, left foot, far corner, Carl and Grant type finish and, yeah, good to see, I mean... Not to lay into Alaska Chunga, but this is the first start Chris Willock's had. Danny Cowley said he felt it was it was time to freshen up the attack. And 
you know, that just shows what a difference it makes having a player who's comfortable and confident, wants to get on the ball, get into the box, look for crosses, look for shots. Um, I thought Willock was, yeah, yeah. Was really good. And, you know, Steve Mounier wasn't on the pitch to, to nick his goal off him with a sticking his little toe on it as he did against Swansea. So, yeah, good to see Chris Willock get on the score sheet and, and hopefully that's a bit of confidence and, you know, we talk about Smith Rowe and people reading those those balls. I think having those, having Carl and Grant ahead of him on one side, Willock on the other side, and then either Campbell or Mounier, you know, straight ahead. There's you can instantly see how much more movement there is in that box compared to if you had say, you know, what did they have? Bakuna and Mounier. Sorry, but yeah, Bakuna, Grant as a number nine, and then Kachunga against Swansea. You know, there's just so much more movement playing in that way and with those personnel. Yeah. The, the thing about Willock as well is that he he's a thoroughly modern footballer, whereas Kachunga, I, I feel like, is almost caught between two stools, whereas Willock is, he is that modern wide of a front three, happy to go yeah. outside or come inside. You know, as you rightly said, he's he's quite happy looking to cross the ball. He's quite happy taking his man on and trying to get that shot across the keeper. There was another time before his goal where he came inside and beat two men and fired it across the keeper that was, was very nearly a goal. He's just... it's it, it, Like, all this praise sounds like damning Kachunga, and it's not a case of damning Kachunga. It's just... I've spoke about it on before, uh, on here before. He he just does a very very different job, yeah. <laughs> and he's great at doing that very specific job. But that job is more of a you know it's more of a middle distance runner than a footballer in truth. Certain games you'd argue you'd probably still potentially play Kachunga. Those games where you. Those games against Brentford where you're essentially what you're trying to do is just. Uh, just trying to track your man, trying to keep it tight, trying to press, just making sure that you don't give anything cheap away. But in other games, you've got to look to win rather than not to lose, haven't you? That's that's the issue. And I think me and you both said it without sounding cruel, but when we saw the teams and we saw Kachunga, as far as we know, he's not injured or no, anything, not. but not only out of the first team, but... Uh, off the subs bench as well. Me and you both looked at each other and thought, contract up in the summer, it suddenly feels like that's not going to be renewed. <laughs> yeah. In, in the nicest possible sense. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, like that front four is not going to do that in every game because they'll come up against better organised mm. defences. But that, that front four is going to get goals. And I would swap Campbell out for Mounier personally. For the foreseeable until Mounier stops scoring, but Town suddenly look like they have a goal threat, and with home games against Charlton, Wigan, and Luton to come, yeah. yeah, that's that's big. That's big. Don't underestimate how big that is. Yeah, one thing that we probably shouldn't underestimate how small it is is that gap to the bottom. Um, it's now two points, yeah, uh, and the goal difference has kind of evaporated. You know, we're on the same goal difference as Wigan, I believe. So it's very tight at the bottom. There's been a lot of good results for the team sort of below and around town, particularly over the weekend. But, I mean, Barnsley have got three wins back-to-back. 
Wigan have won their last two, Luton have won three of their last four. It's suddenly very tight at the bottom, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is tight at the bottom right now, but I am highly sceptical that certainly Wigan, definitely Luton uh, and and even Barnsley are going to keep this up. I think they've timed their run wrong. If this was coming later in the season, then I think there'd be reason to worry. I, I, I spoke to a couple of people on Twitter about Wigan, and I know they're putting a good run together, and I know they've had some good results, but they are not a great team. They're, they're down there for a reason. They are. And I just, I think the difference between Town and some of the other sides down there is Town, you know, that average that couldn't beat Swansea, I think could beat, you know, Luton at their average, Wigan at their average. So I, I just like we we are invested neutrals at this point. So none neither of us wants to see town go down or anything like that. But it does give us slightly more distance from it than fans. And I just I cannot get myself worked up that their town are going to get caught and they're going to get dragged down into it because I I just I genuinely don't think they are. It's been a weird couple of match days because these teams have all won. You know, it's like it's been a bit mad, really, some of the results that have come up. But there will be plenty of weekends where town will pick up points and at least two of the sides below them won't. I, I absolutely guarantee it. And I, I just don't I don't think the situation is as perilous as it looks. Like Danny Cowley said after the game, you you just have to look at what you're doing. Yeah. You, you drive yourself mad if you look at what everybody else is doing all the time. You just have to look at what you're doing. They've got to play Charlton at home at the weekend. It's exactly the sort of fixture you would want after coming off the back of a very good performance against Bristol City. So they've got to take that chance. You know, it's it's in it's in their hands ultimately. There's also a chance of a couple of sides further up getting dragged down yeah. into it. We we have no idea if it is going to happen or not, but there are lots and lots of talk of of Birmingham. Sheffield Wednesday and potentially Derby getting points deductions in the next couple of weeks. I, I, I just, I just, I know it looks perilous, but it, I, I just don't think it is quite as perilous. The other thing is that performance against Bristol, Steve, was. I know Bristol were bad. I know we have to put that caveat in, but that would be. Yeah. I reckon that performance would be maybe 16, 17 sides in this division. Yeah. You know, I, I genuinely do. So, and Town will find that level again before the end of the season. It won't be a one-off. Yeah. You know, they're not. They're not going to fight. It's not going to be like that every single week. But they will find that level. And when you look at potential points totals, what they might need, what what it might come to, um, I think three wins and three draws, and they'll be home and hosed. Yeah. And they will. I'm pretty sure they will get that. And personally, I think they'll get more than that. But but we'll leave that for another time. I'm just, again, looking at that player rating spreadsheet. and So I'm looking at the previous, what's that, eight games, and the only two bad performances in there were the defeat to Cardiff and the defeat to Swansea. All of the others are either average at worst, which is, you know, the Fulham away, which is just a mad game that they deserve to win, to be honest. Yeah. And then you've got the Bristol, significantly better than average. Derby, better than average. QPR, better than average. Hull, significantly better than average. Brentford, better than average. 
that doesn't and I know that for a lot of fans it doesn't feel like it's an upward trajectory but then you consider the fact that well the games before that were Barnsley away Southampton away Stoke mm. at home they got that win against Blackburn but then before that it was Middlesbrough away you know that the trajectory is there and that suggests to me that, that at the very least they should maintain the the number of points that they're picking up I suspect that they will improve it and if that's the case, then they're going to be absolutely fine through to the end of the season. That's not to say that, you know, it's a done deal, there's no need to panic. No. It'd be stupid to say that when you're two points, you know, come close a place Saturday, they could be in the relegation zone. Mm. You know, you, you can't, it would be daft to pretend that that's not the case. But I just think that there there are definitely positives there. And I think that Swansea game did send a lot of people spiralling. Um which, to be fair, is going to happen. That they weren't the only set of fans at the weekend that that were panicking. Um, you know, Hull City, uh, two points ahead of Town, still now, and their fans are, to be honest, probably quite rightly concerned that they're going to go down. Yeah, so, and it's not just Town. And like to take them as a direct comparison, Town have added four really good players to their first team, who are all going to get better and more comfortable in that side before the end of the season. Hull have lost arguably their two best players. They've gone. And not even their two best players, their only two good players. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is why I just I can understand the 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 panic from some and I can understand some people screaming at me that I should be taking it more seriously than I am. But I, I just if you look at some of the underlying stats as well for town, they are on an upward trend. The real look. The reality is this: if the Cowleys had been in there since the first day of the season, Town wouldn't be where they are. There was a, a league table the other day that I think had Town in. Um, if you took the league table just from when the the Cowleys joined, I think it had Town in something like fifteenth, sixteenth, and and comfortable. Let me just have a look at that now. Thirteenth. Uh, yeah, thirteenth. So exactly in the middle with a squad that I would argue, you know, still has some black holes in it. Give them a give them a summer and proper recruitment and to have, you know, in horrible air quotes, their team and things will get better. But just take this section between now and the end of the season and things are improving. It's not don't get it wrong, neither me or Steve are saying it's like it's not roller coasters and fireworks, but yeah. They haven't got the squad and the means and the circumstances and the context for it to be roller coasters and fireworks. But I just like, yeah, you know, I, I can't. If Town went down from here, it would take a a complete collapse of everything the Cowlitz have done up to this point, in my humble view. Because I think Town would have to lose eight or nine of their remaining fixtures, realistically, for them yeah. to go down. And that is. That's a lot of games to just outright lose with these managers, with Emile Smith-Rowe, you know, with Chris Woolock and Carlin Grant either side, with that defence that, yeah, we know when it goes wrong, Town tend to concede threes, fours and fives. But on the whole, you know, it's it's one, one a game they'll concede. I, I just can't get myself worried about it, but I completely understand why some people are, you know, it's fair enough. Yeah, there's a kind of cognitive dissonance as well at play because 
I think every town fan would say they had a good window. They got Jonas Lerzel in. Harry Toffolo looks great. Smith Rowe's great. Willock is showing signs he could be a player. Andy King has done all right when he's played. Stearman has had some really good performances. And yet people are still saying that it's the same old, you know, the same old town and the same old issues and, and can't see that this squad is going to improve. And it's like, well, you've got six players that have improved that squad, four that have at least four that have immediately improved the first team, but you think that they're going to do worse than they did in the first half of the Cowley's reign. Yeah. Seems a bit strange to me, to be honest, but... uh, But part of that is because there's a couple, there's there's still a couple of like fairly obvious problems on the pitch, isn't there, that you look at, look at Crazy Campbell. I've said it in jest, but I also absolutely mean it. it, It's not good to have a striker who's got more yellows than goals. And... Mm. It was another performance of running about a lot, lots of energy, etc., etc. Uh, but then he also missed uh, an unbelievably good chance first half with just a complete air shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know. Had a goal disallowed as well. Yeah, but that was, I, I mean... It, he it was miles was, offside. Yeah, he was miles off, absolutely miles off. And I would argue he probably didn't need to be. Yeah. He didn't need to be in that situation, so yeah. I, I'm a I'm a bit less down on Campbell than you. I I still think, for all for all Mounier has been scoring the goals recently, I still think, especially at home, Town looked like a better team with him in the side. I just think he enables a lot more um, from the players around him. But I would say that Mounier against Swansea was getting stuck in a lot more than seeing Mounier. You know he's he's yeah. he's up to that level, and Grant as well against uh, against um, uh, Bristol was was getting stuck in and yeah yeah. It's not that I it's not that I'm down on Campbell. I think Campbell I think Campbell does certain things really really well, but the problem is like even in this modern the yeah. non-striker striker <laughs> role where you're you know most of your job is there to press and harry and bring others into play. You've got to chip in with a few goals, Steve. And at the moment, he looks a long way off getting even 10, 15 a season, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and that's that's the issue there. Whereas Mounier, he may not do certain things as well as Campbell, but he does look a goal threat. Yeah. He does look like he's going to score and he's backed that up with goals. And it, So this is why I think you can't get too carried away. Danny Simpson is still nowhere near the, the Danny Simpson form-wise that first came to the club, but there's literally no one else who can push him for his place or you can drop him there to give him a break, realistically, if he's fit. Mm. So that's another area that people look at and go, yeah, you know, and roll their eyes. I completely understand all these things, but, you know, you have to take things as a whole. And as I said, a lot of the a lot of the underlying stats and the underlying markers are all on an upward trajectory. So it, it would be a huge collapse from here if, if town did go down. Yeah. Could happen. Yeah. Could happen, but it, it would be surprising. Yeah. <laughs> it would and, be surprising. And some people may be listening to this after the Charlton game. You'll obviously know the result of that. Um, I mean, it's entirely possible they lose that game, but I think... We've talked before, if they just get four points every three games through to the end of the season, that's them fine. Mm. And I think if they if they get a draw against Charlton, it's not a disaster. They, you would have looked at this these three fixtures and you probably would have said, 
right, get a draw at Swansea, can probably bear to lose to Bristol and then beat Charlton. It could be that they, as I say, that they lose or draw tomorrow. It'd do them a lot of favours if they were to get a win with Charlton being down at that end of the table as well. But I think it's not a disaster if it's... it's. I think it's probably acceptable if it's a draw. And I don't think it's quite the disaster it could be for a loss. They, they've got to avoid losing. Yeah. That's that's the thing, isn't it? And that's that's really their marker from from here till the end of the season. That if they just as many games as possible, if they avoid losing, if they pick draws up, as you said, the levels they need are not massive. You're not talking about having to put a run together of like yeah. seven wins in twelve games or anything. They're, it's not massive. It's like three wins, three draws. Yeah, a point per game gets them to fifty points. Yeah, so. Again, it's not these aren't hugely unachievable targets. It's I know why fans are worried, but when you actually look at it in the cold light of day, that there is, you know, there's a clear path to town staying up. And Charlton are a funny side because, like, even in early December, people were saying, "How do you think they're going to do in the playoffs?" <laughs> and then they have tumbled off a cliff. You know, if it wasn't for their early season form. Charlton would be in the bottom three without a shadow of a doubt. So I think you look at the team selection against Swansea and it's clear they've targeted this game to try and win. Mm. And if they did, after the sort of misery of last Saturday night and the doom and gloom, if they then picked up six points in the next two games, that is, believe me, it doesn't matter what other teams do, that will be a huge step towards towards staying up. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you, I think you're exactly right. Just just avoid defeat. Just avoid defeat. A draw would not be the worst the worst result in the world, particularly with those Wigan and Luton games coming up. Which, let's be honest, they absolute they those two they have to win. <laughs> yeah. You know, no no, the teams below them. You have to beat the teams who are below you. Charlton are only slightly above, so you should be targeting it, but. If they beat, if they got a point Saturday and they beat Wigan and Luton at home, that's seven points out of we think what twelve they need. Yeah. So that's over halfway. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, we might be. We may be horrendously wrong, Steve. They might have just got beaten five nil. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that going into Leeds as well. <laughs> Thank you very much, David Hartrick, for joining me on this week's Who to Be at as usual. No problem whatsoever. I've literally nothing better to do with my time. Excellent, excellent. Don't you have a child and a dog? Oh, yeah. Always forget about them. (laughs) Right, lovely stuff. Right, we'll see you next time. Like and subscribe. Check out examinalive.co.uk. I don't know, all of that gubbins. And we'll see you next time. Who's to be a 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 Who's to be